Y Central with Dan and Johnny. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of LOI Central in association with FutureTicketing.ie and it is a show in which we rather wonder what might have been as Shamrock Rovers bow out of the Champions League and could be joined by three other League of Ireland teams come Thursday evening in the Conference League. Uh, with that in mind, we talked to Andy Lyons and James Talbot ahead of Bo Starnan in the Aviva Stadium Thursday and also Liam Buckley is going to talk about Sligo Rovers' bid to overcome a 1-0 deficit against F. Howe at the showgrounds. Gerald Bryan is our main guest on the show today. Uh, we're going to talk about St. Pat's great start to the season. Obviously, their win over Derry, but mainly about their academy and uh, the addition of all these young players on pro contracts. We're going to be giving away a four-star pizza. Congratulations to Wicklow native Tom Byrne on last week's win. And there's also the FEI Cup draw. Somehow, Shamrock Rovers, their bad week got even worse when they were drawn against Galway United, obviously, in Tala. High-flying Galway United. Five wins on the bounce, Dan. Um, which may or may not uh, continue into next weekend. But let's get talking Shamrock Rovers first, I guess. Yeah, that's a frustrating one, John. Like, uh, I was only... Moral victory, as you said in your report. Yeah, I really hate these moral victories, you know? They're really annoying. And and look, you think about it, we spoke about a bit about this off-air and stuff. Like, there's there's obviously a couple of elements to this result. Like, you know, they're probably not the best team Rovers have played in Europe in recent years. But I still think Rovers produced best performance of the season and I think in some respects they left themselves with that two hole two goal uphill mountain last week you know and, and fairly so I think last week was a 2-0 game and I think last night the fairest conclusion would have been if the game had gone to extra time I think that would have been fair enough well that's that's very very biased now well no I, I don't think I don't think I think in terms of how Bratislava uh approach things in the second half I think they were sort of flagging a small bit and yeah were, I agree I have no reason to be biased on it I just think Rovers had earned the chance to bring it to the distance and who but knows? you're talking more about like kind of that's more philosophical than like what happened in the game we'll say well okay but I don't think in the game like you know so so Rovers have to be a bit braver playing against a team that's going to press you a bit more right as they do and their strength, Bratislava, is their fun four players. And they're quite a positive side in terms of how they play. So if you're playing against players that could press you at a higher intensity than players you play against week to week, you will sometimes risk getting caught. And a lot of the nervy moments for Shamrock Rovers were self-inflicted ones, as opposed to like amazing Bratislava moments of quality. So like Lopez early on scuffed across they ran half the pitch and could have scored. There was one before half time where a pass was nearly intercepted. But if we talk about maybe last week, I thought Rovers are very safe in how they played. You know, they 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 didn't. I don't know. There was just there, just, there was a lack of conviction probably in how they played. I thought their passing was a lot better last night. Andrew in next to Gary O'Neill was a lot better. Gary O'Neill himself picked out some really good positive passes. You know, going forward. And yes, you are going to take chances. Like like, but Dundalk against Bate in twenty sixteen, they won three 0 But like the fans were on their nerves several times in that game, and there's. There's no Irish side good enough in Europe to play against teams at that level and not give up moments and chances. You know, that's just that's just a fact. And like a lot of the great results we've had over the years have had some absolutely hair-raising escapes, you know. Um, and you can pick any big League of Ireland win in Europe and you, you will actually struggle to not be able to point to like one or two instances like there was in the game last night. It's so, the level you're at and you need things to go your way. Yeah, you do. And, and what I'm saying is, 
like Vladimir Voice spoke after and he didn't really have any complaints about Rovers being better on the night. Like he wasn't sort of, you know, as in the manager of Vladimir Voice as mm. opposed to <laughs> um, he had no complaints. And I honestly think extra time, they, they, they would have probably, you know, felt like they'd earned it. I think reasonably. Yeah. Because they got the 2-0 ahead and they conceded they were, they were always going to be vulnerable in the period after the goal or Slovan stepped it up a bit as they did. Um, but they were sort of making a few subs and, you know, they got lucky with the, the, you know, Lopez was fouled and they got away with it. Now, listen, they've had luck recent weeks go their way, the, the high profiles and dog penalties. So they're not going to get sympathy from other clubs around the league. And to be honest, the ref was a bit... But he was uh, all over the shop. I mean, he, yeah, he, he was, probably sort he of should have sent off Gary O'Neill. I think that is a second yellow, being honest. I think Gary O'Neill will probably reflect that he was fortunate. Um, so you, you have that. But, you know, that Lopez tackle, as much as there wasn't an awful lot in it, 99 out of 100 referees give a free out for that. Yeah, and listen, I mean, Rovers sort of stopped a bit. And listen, obviously you shouldn't do that. And there was great... There was, a, there was still a, a fair few seconds between the foul and the ball going into the net, you know? So it's not... Like, you can't do a propaganda job on it. Like, you know, they... They could, have, they could have still dealt with it better. But I think just when you're playing a team like that in pre-season as they are effectively, although, listen, they would have had a pretty high-end training camp, I'm sure, and so on. I just felt it was weighted towards Rovers if they could, particularly that they had a bit of a stronger squad this week, so they were able to bring on some decent clubs off the bench. It, I just felt it was there for them. Like, the hard part was done. You know, they'd done the hard part, which is come back to two-goal deficit. So, it's frustrating, but I really think like they hit a level, you know, across that game, you know, at times in passages that they haven't hit at all domestically. And it's interesting to see if this inspires them to better things or to just rise into the occasion yeah. of, of the one game. You know? as, as, as well as that, like, I know it's, it's different levels, but clubs will look at how shaky they were playing out from the back at times and say, we need to press Rovers very high. Um, and now maybe Rovers are going to play like different systems against League of Ireland teams, but ultimately Bratislava, you know, it was so hot over there. I don't. I think Bradley did not pick the team he would have wanted. You see, Joey O'Brien, the difference he makes coming back, um, and Richie Towell, in fairness, who I thought, like, you know, I, I know you were saying he definitely is going to start uh, these games. I just bringing him into Bratislava, considering his lack of experience with this team, to me, wasn't ideal. But the quality of that strike, and it was just like everything was kind of all the stars were aligning, and it was just for me, Dan. It was it was really disappointing because I love League of Ireland teams doing well in Europe. This was a really good performance i i had um you know you, you have people having to pay 10 euro to watch it it wasn't on national tv and now everyone's in the conference league and it's just a bit of a damn squib to be honest because it was there was a lot of quality in that rovers performance as well even though i think they can play better as well yeah i mean listen i know you think they can play better and i understand where you're coming from and that we had a maybe a well i don't think gaffney works in europe at that level disagree. i don't think i don't oh. think gaffney can hold up the ball as well as an in-form aaron green um, can but now whether aaron green is in the form that he has been is another debate there are two different options i i think gaffney's a better ball player and i think if you're playing with a side that doesn't have a huge amount of pace and you're actually going to try and link the play with Burke and Mandrew as you would. Gaffney's actually better. And you can actually see how that worked for the goal last night. Yeah, he's very good. So I, I actually, I think picking Gaffney was completely the right call, personally. But, you know, I think... Where's Green, the pace in the Rovers team, though, Dan? Well, I know Farouk is injured, but where is the pace but we, to... But we, but we spoke about it last week. I think this is... I think it would have been very interesting, like, when they got to 2-0. So Bratislava, listen, they were quite positive, but they actually did try and squeeze Rovers a bit after half time, mm. And you saw and manage it and in Rovers that's, that's when Rovers were at their most impressive that they they, they broke out with that 
and they got they got the goal. And I think then Bratislava were going to start to take a few more chances and take a few more. And that's when Green, like it was the perfect uh, tie situation where you bring Green on then when all of a sudden you're playing against a team in pre-season. They're like, oh, geez, here's a guy now. We're clipping mm. it up and he's trying to stretch us. So I really think that, that it was the right call. I do think that was the right call. But obviously they conceded so soon after getting level that they didn't get to fully test that that theory. And I they think- also brought off a Gary O'Neill, which was completely understandable, but replaced him because McCann is injured with Dylan Watts, who is obviously a completely different player. So their midfield was hadn't didn't have anywhere near the shape he would want at that situation. Yeah, no, listen, there's a few aspects to it, but... Um, Dean Scales is an outstanding footballer as well. Who oh, Scales, he's getting way. better. I mean, he is he's getting just, better and better. Can you yeah, imagine him left side of the three with Ferruja on his left in a wing-back situation? I mean, there'd be so much quality down that left uh, if he, with Scales kind of centre-back, but also in a, in, a, in, a, in a with a role to attack. I just think he's... Yeah, yeah for... you say you say that, but like, I'm such a big fan of, of Scales. But actually, look, he's actually got very good on that wing-back side. Maybe if he was playing the left of the back three, he would actually been pegged back for a good part of that game. Mm. You know, like you're talking, like it's, you can't imagine that Scales on the left of a back three would have had the freedom to to, to get involved in the players. No, but Ferruja, Ferruja, if they had him, and this is one of the aspect seasons that's been disappointing. He was bought for games like this where his pace is proper, proper quality. Even against Milan last year, I thought he quit himself really well. Yeah, but uh, well, 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 listen, there. we're going on a complete tangent here, but the. the is Liam Frugia, uh, is, is Liam Frugia, that's a hybrid of the two, is Neil Frugia a wing-back? Possibly not. Mm. Possibly, possibly at his best, actually, as a left-winger. And that that was an issue with his time at Rovers prior to the injury. So kind of, you can't rewrite history on that, to be fair. So my um, standing forms is from Rovers. No, no, there was. Like, you know, and I just... But, but I have to say as well, this is where we're in this... I hate this moral victory crap. Like, do you know what I mean? And, and like, I understand that you have to praise them and what they've done, but it feels like we've... You know, I said it to someone last night. I feel like I've seen this game before. Yeah. You know, I've seen this game before. It was like, well done, lads, and, and off you go. Now, the good thing now is that, you know, a couple of years back, the Dock gave it a real go against Rosenborg in that round. They were out of Europe. Same against Dante Borisov two years previously. Uh, this Rovers team does now get the chance to go to the Conference League, to the Champions route. They have to buy to the third round, which is... Um, so they're going to be waiting to see. Like, they could potentially end up playing against teams who won last night. They got knocked out in the next stage, although there's a Europa League element that comes in for teams that got through last night too. So actually, it's it's it's, it's sort of it's a bit convoluted, but basically to explain to people who aren't aware, they can still only play domestic champions who've been knocked out of the Champions League. Where mm. where, um, and they find out on Monday, um, you know which tie they're going to be matched up with. Um, so I just hope that they can generate some momentum from it because, like, it is. The Champions route is funny. They could still end up playing a very good side in that third round. Um, and part of me thinks, listen, the boy is brilliant because they go through. And that's great. But would you like to see them build a bit more momentum by, by playing a second round tie and just sort of, you know, b- building on it and going forward um, and, and getting some momentum going? So, because it's, it's a, listen, like we're big advocates of the league and stuff. But the fact is, the biggest round in Europe every year is that first Champions League tie. And uh, only three teams have gone through that round in the last decade, which was Shamrock Rovers in 2011 against Flora Tallinn. I think they won that uh, by one goal. Uh, it's Dundalk against FH in 2016, away goals. You know, and we know we were over there. They were hanging on the last few minutes, albeit they possibly should have been out of sight by then. But still, it was away goals. That rule would have gone to extra time in today's rules. And 2019, Dundalk and Riga 
which again went to penalties and and you know went all the way and like our clubs haven't mastered getting through that round now generally our clubs are unseated so they need to produce something and i think you know where the regret comes from for Robert is that while Bratislava are a good side who've had some difficult nights in Europe in recent years, but they are a good side. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did okay against young boys. They had more vulnerabilities than some of the other well, teams they played. Exactly. Like 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 if Rovers win the league this year or whoever wins the league this year, does every they could end up getting a harder tie next year. So like it's it's you know it's it's you know, like there's some mad results in Europe last night. Like Lincoln Red Imps and Gibraltar won five nil last night uh, against God, who did they beat? It was actually the Luxembourg champions, which is an interesting mm. one for Bose. If Bose get through, you know, and, and they play Doodleland, like what's happened to, to football? Like, mm. like I saw an Estonian team, we might reference this with Jerry Bryan, an Estonian team winning 3-0 away last night. Like, mm. Shamrock Rovers beat Flora Tallinn like 10 years ago. You know, you're seeing teams in other countries um, very comfortably getting through that round, yet we always find it so hard to get through that round, you know? So... That is still a mental block round. And yes, sometimes the regionalization is going to be a bit of bad luck with the draws. But but we we to, to really talk about progress, um, we need to get better, you know, and we need to be better at, at that stage. Now, listen, at times we've lauded Linfield last year and stuff, and and like they they were lost both legs to a team from Lithuania, you know, which which mm. wasn't great. So it's all like like last year we didn't we didn't know about Sheriff. Sheriff won five nil their two legged tie. The Slovenian champions who replaced Celtic they won five last night too. So leagues are constantly improving and, and we need to move with it. And we're going to have an interesting chat with Jerry Bryan actually now, you know where we touch on this and what we what we need to get the foundations right first, and then hopefully that leads to like European success rather than expecting it the other way around. But there is um. Definitely a, a lingering sense of frustration about that tie that, that possibly it's one they could have won. But they would have needed a lot of things to go right to win it. And the sad thing is a lot of you won't have been watching it because um, you're not a Shamrock Rovers fan. You didn't pay the 10 euro or whatever and it wasn't on live TV. The one Champions League game in Ireland this season was not on live TV, which is very, very disappointing. And that's why we miss air sports so much as well. It's, uh, I don't know, in, in these in these days of, you know, life changing at such a rapid pace, I'm sure all of you are uh, very encouraged that Dan's eccentric pronunciation of Lithuania has not changed. Uh, and kudos to Dundalk as well for getting through, obviously, uh, what's my, Eccentric pronunciation of Lithuania. We've just answered your question there. Let's get to Gerald O'Brien. All right, lads, how's things? It feels far too long. I remember um, every week, I think, was the first time we did this podcast a few years ago. And when it had another name, obviously, every week it was like, oh, I think he was the best one so far. I think he was the best one so far. But I, I remember thinking you were great altogether. I haven't talked to you in a while, though. What's the crack? Yeah, all good. Keeping busy. Keeping busy. Love listening to you guys now on a weekly basis. Well, Dan is having a pop at me um, as if I'm some weirdo for mentioning these four teenagers. No, no, like, I just, it's just it's four Johnny... young players yeah. who signed pro contracts, but also the boy Glory who went to France uh, to Stade M. So it's all happening at Pats. And also, Dan, I want to point out that I did reference Sligo Rovers, um, obviously with all the academy players. I talked, I will talk to um, Andy Lines about Bowes bringing players through. So, it's, and I've spoken about Go United and all these young players as well. So, I just love young footballers, obviously. Well, I'm, well you mean <laughs> it's good to know you've moved on from young managers to young footballers. Your obsession That's was previously week. all the young managers in the league. We've moved on to the young players. But now, it is listen, it's an interesting story, as you mentioned, that the that some Pats uh, announced last week to sign four young players in professional terms. Now, um, Jared, like, there's obviously. It's changing times in Irish football, and I think it wouldn't be 
uh, a massive sort of uh, leap to draw some link between the Brexit changes and what's happening here in some shape or form, particularly maybe one or two of the players you're talking about here, maybe at other times might have been looking to the UK. So maybe tell us a bit about what's going on. Because I, I know that there's other clubs as well that are signing players on pro terms around that age group. I mean, Cork City with Cottle Heffernan there recently. Uh, and I know sort of Rovers and Bowes have, have done a bit of it. So, so what, what's going on at Pats? Yeah, so I think what, what would have happened, lads, is that we would have foreseen this in, in clubs um, coming down the line over the last number of seasons. And what typically would have happened was our so-called higher-performing players down through the years would have been gone at 16 to the UK. So when they go over to the UK, they're going in into wonderful facilities, you know, in, in multi-million pound academies, loads of pitches, loads of coaches, loads of support, loads of help for them. And they're given a wonderful opportunity to have a platform to go on and become professional footballers. In Ireland, we don't have them structures. So I suppose we would have had to do a lot of internal discussions about what potential is going to come down the road in this country and, and how we can kind of be best, I suppose, so how we can kind of give the best support to these young players that if they don't go away at 16, what can we do to make sure that we're giving them the best platform here in this country? Yeah, because, I mean, it's... it's Like, you, there was an announcement last week that sort of, uh, you know, Gloria and Zinga has gone to, to Stade de Rheem in, in France. And we we have a situation where I know there's, like, Kevin Zeffi potentially going to, to Italy maybe later in the year. We'll see. Like That's obviously not happened as quickly as maybe people imagined. And there is European interest in players, but is this just a reflection of the need as well? Like Will Clark presented some figures recently about say average training times for like, you know, under 17s compared to their UK equivalents and stuff like that. Is it a reality that if our players aren't going away at 16, like they would, we have to try and get as many of them into like first team, full team setups because they might necessarily get that full-time training, but they're not going to get it with their under-17 side. Like they actually have to be in or around the first team setup to get those days on the pitch. Yeah, I think you're bang on there, Dan. I think we, we owe it to these kids because it's not their fault that they've been given, um, you know, that they've been put in this situation. As I said already, like you could have imagined if you if this had came in five years ago, look at the amount of boys that wouldn't have went to the UK at 16. You know, Aaron Connolly wouldn't have went. Adam Oida wouldn't have went. Uh, Troy Parrott wouldn't have went. Gavin Bazuna wouldn't have went. All these players would still be based here in, in our domestic academies. And the thing about it is we haven't, um, I suppose we haven't got ourselves to a stage yet where we can provide professional environments to them. Like I'm on about school and I'm on about education. I'm on about, you know, support staff in the academies. I'm on about the top coaches, the facilities, everything that needs to come with the young players all over the rest of Europe. Yeah, we just don't have that yet. And I think I would have went on record a while ago saying we need government support on this. We know that the, the league has started and it's been an age-old conversation that we would have had in terms of you know, funding, but we have to get ourselves into a situation where we can run proper full-time academies here in this country, where our best young players are not being farmed out at 16, that we're not trying to sell them at 16, that they're not, you know, being shoved in for, for pittance, um, you know, and then we can, it doesn't even get reinvested back in more often not, it probably just goes into that big black hole and, and writes off a little bit of debt at the end of the year. Look, we have to kind of think, we have to be smart about it and we have to understand that 
football nowadays is a business and until we as um, a country really understand that our league is not a business yet and it needs to be turned into a business model we need to bring in proper sponsorship we need to get tv deals we need to get government funding we need to get better facilities more full-time staff better support staff around the players all that has to come hand in hand and you're right the only way those best young 16 year olds now that we can give them a platform is to put them around more experienced players and Take us, for example, we've got the likes of Adam Murphy, James Banquet, people like that who've, who've signed contracts in the last couple of weeks. They're in with the likes of Robbie Benson, they're in with John Mountain, they're in with Ian Birmingham, they're in with Lee Desmond every single day because we have to put them in that environment where not only are they getting developed as footballers, but we need to develop them as people as well that when they do go over into senior environments or when they do step up to senior environments that they understand what it's about and how to act and how to behave and get all the good habits that a footballer needs to have. And unfortunately, the higher performing players don't get that at their own age groups in, in this country. I, I think there's obviously, there's a couple of aspects to that, you know, because I suppose I'm trying to put the, flip it around to the other side of the argument. And like, listen, there's always elitism within football, whether we like it or not. There's always a hierarchy of some degree. Um, but but I guess I'm thinking of like, so we have a certain select number of sort of like Adam Murphy as said a 16 who's now going to who's been given this pro contract but look what what are the options like for the, the later developing 16 year olds now or maybe the 16 year olds who just who w- wouldn't be ready for that first team environment but they might be ready for it in 18 months time but naturally they will look at maybe other people in their age group making that jump and being given those contracts and there's, I know that's always been, listen, before it was the lads who were left at home while, while the lads went to England. Um, so it's unusual to have it within the country here. You know, like it's, it's sort of a, it's flipping everything we know in some respects. So is there, is there a balancing act with that? Like what about the rest of the lads in the Pats under 17s, for example, at the moment? Like where are their morale levels at when they can see that, that they, there's, there's other lads who've sort of gone a grade up, if you know what I mean? Yeah, listen, you're you're 100% right again, Dan. These are uh, issues that would never have come in the last couple of seasons because, as you pointed out, that our players would have went across and it would have been a case, oh, he's gone away, why can't I go away? But, okay, I'm still here and I'm still playing at my own age group. But, you know, we will have that and that's just nature. You know, that's coming from parents, that's coming from kids who feel that they need to get the opportunity that the other kid has got. So we need to manage expectations and we need to try and explain and create a proper culture and structure in the academy to say listen you're heading in the right way this is what's happening you're moving forward whatever that might be but it's not just me we've sp- I've spoken to other heads of academy over the last couple of weeks as well they're all in the same boat it's 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 very understandable for for kids and parents to get frustrated when they see it. and that's just human nature even if we yeah. feel that they're not ready to make that step up that's just human nature that I'm not going to use the word jealousy, but it's almost like they feel the need and the want to try and be tested at the same level that the other kid are given the same opportunity that the other kid is being given. So we need to manage that expectation as best as we possibly can. The other side of it is Dan, and I'm going to speak quite frankly on this, that our better and our higher performing players. And, you know, you look at Rovers with Kevin Zeffi, and you look at other players, other clubs up and down the country, because it's not just Rovers or Pats. You know, as Johnny said at the start, you've got fantastic talent coming through Cork. You've got unbelievable players coming through Sligo, really good players coming through Derry, Finn Hart. It's all up and down the country. We need to make sure that we protect our, our assets. And if we can bring in from a schoolboy club, or if we can bring in someone that's 12 and bring them through up to 16, and then we know that, 
UK is probably going to be their avenue. One, because they mightn't speak foreign language. Two, that they might want to stay in the education pathway, that we need to protect their assets. And we need to treat it like a business model as well. Mm. The league is getting younger and younger. The first division is such a young league now, really, really young league. The Premier Division is getting younger and younger. And I think if you go through, if you look at our situation at Pats, we don't have the biggest first-team squad in the world. Last weekend, we had two goalkeepers on the bench and we had five kids on the bench. Oh, sorry, four kids. Billy King, I think, was on the bench as well. He came on for Ronald Coughlin early. You're talking Tommy Lonigan, 17, James and Bank was 17, Keane Corbley, I don't think was on, Ross Fay is first time on the bench. Mm. And he's a great example because on that point, Dan, Ross Fay would have came up through the same team as Ben McCormick. And he would have been looking at Ben McCormick now for the last two seasons on a professional deal, getting chance in the first team. Ross Fay is an incredible young player. He's an incredible young man. Comes from the inner city in town turns up training, and gets the bus to train and trains properly. And finally, he got awarded with a place on the bench last weekend. Mm. So each player is on a different journey and it's up to us to manage that expectations with the culture that we have in the club, a really good support network around them because not every player who has a professional contract now will end up having a 15 or 20 year career. And the player who's not on a contract now at 16, 17 might be that late developer because as you would have said, you guys are around the league a long time. It was unheard of five years ago to give a 16-year-old a deal. Like the, the striking thing I would say about the, the past Derry game last Friday, Jeremy, like, I think there were seven teenagers actually on the pitch. For, and you mentioned all the subs, and that's obviously from both sides because Derry had Evan McLaughlin and Patrick Ferry. And I suppose the, the flip side of my previous point, and you've sort of half answered it there with um, you know, the, the Ross Fay Ben McCormick point, that I suppose the other side is if you're under 17s or whoever – are watching James the Banker come on into the game, really get involved, sort of rise to the challenge of the siege. It's it's a great lift, I suppose, for everyone else in a certain way too. And and there's this whole thing about the underage leagues for all the controversy around them. And we understand what it is. I don't want to go down that road completely too much. Even that sense of probably identity and feeling with the club can be strengthened a bit if they see more of their own out on the first team pitch. So that's the good side of this equation here, isn't it? Dan, when I took this role over in the end of 2016 and start of 2017, the owner said to me that we want to produce the best players in our academy that can play in Air Force team. We want the best academy in the country. We want to have the best success on the pitch, which, you know, people look at that when they, re- when they speak about winning and underage football as a little bit of a taboo subject. Oh, you can't speak about that. But we want that. We want their players to want to win. We want winners going up that when Stephen O'Donnell brings them up into the first team, that they're already committed and they know what it takes to win football matches. So I have no problem saying that. Yes, it goes 100% hand-in-hand with developing these players physically, mentally, tactically, technically, all those things, they go hand-in-hand with it. But in order for us to have a successful academy to bring those players in, one, I'd like to go back to that saying, human nature, every kid wants to win. Whether we want to win as much as they do is not the point. Every kid wants to win, so we have to give them that platform to win football matches. When they move up into the environment like that, like you said, the 17s, uh, the 18s, the 19s, they know now that we have, I suppose, a policy internally in the club that if you're good enough, you will be given an opportunity. Whereas roll back five, six, seven, eight years, not just at Pats, but all around the league, the average age was a lot more like... I remember the likes of Darren Markey coming through, Sean Hoare coming mm. through, Jamie McGrath coming through. It took them forever to get mm. games, like forever. And they own, even though they were around first team for so long, it took them so, so long to get games. Now we've got Darren Burns, 
who for me was the best player on the pitch in the first half last week. You've got young Evan McLaughlin coming on from Derry, who looks like he's going to be a real, real prospect and how he kind of moves around, gets on the ball and plays. That's the way it's gone, without a shadow of a doubt. And just from Adam Murphy's perspective, I suppose you've been very, very honest there. This is the first thing that came to my mind. What's the benefit to the player who's 16 and is obviously a hot prospect to sign for a League of Ireland club on a pro term? And does he have like potential agents sniffing around in the background saying, no, no, hold out here. I know there's Brexit, but it's actually your benefit not to do this. So what's the benefit to the player apart from a few quid? Well, being honest with you, Johnny, I think two years is a very long time in football and it's a very long time for a young player. At Pats, we're, we're full-time in terms of that we train in the mornings. Um, and in order for a player to be able to do that, he's got to be able to manage his school time and his education with the football side of things. You talk about agents. Listen, every, everyone has an agent now. Every kid has an agent. We, we, we meet all types of agents. We meet some really good ones. We meet some not so good ones. I think it's about communicating to them. And then what we do is I think we've built up enough credits with the parents over a number of years that the, we, when we sit down, we have, we have an open, honest conversation. Um, and there's a, a, a lot of trust there from both sides. And what we kind of, we lay out the facts of what, like, years gone by, the age would have said, oh, you don't sign a pro deal because you'll never get out of there. They'll price you out of a mill, which is, it's, it's just not true. You know what I mean? It's not true at any level. If a player doesn't want to be here, he will get out eventually. Yeah. You know, he will eventually, whether he's 16 years of age or whether he's 26 years of age, if he doesn't want to play at a football club, he will get out. In terms of us, we got to make sure that, like you said, in normal times without Brexit, the likes of Adam Morphy, Kevin Zeffi, Carl Heffernan, all those boys would have been gone. They, would have been, they wouldn't be in the, in, the, in the underage national leagues or, or League of Ireland clubs. They would have been in the UK by now, playing their trade probably at under-18s, maybe even dropping into under-23s now and again. They go off the radar, they come back on the radar every now and again in terms of international stuff. Then all of a sudden someone might make a bench and then all of a sudden there's a clamour around them. It looks like he's going to get forward and then all of a sudden he disappears and he drops out again. Whereas now, we're just sort of saying, listen, all of the clubs need to be singing off the same sheet. And I've spoken to the likes of Liam Kearney, I've spoken to Shane Robinson, you know, spoken to Kevin McHugh, Paddy McCart, all these guys, we're all on the same page. We know that we have some fantastic players right the way down to the academy from 14s all the way to 19s. The ones that we feel need to be challenged. And it's not about looking and saying, oh, well, he's definitely going to go away at 18 because things can change in two years. But we owe it to them players to give them a platform and an environment where we can challenge them. And if they're not being challenged at 17s with their own age group, what's the point? It's not going to benefit us as a club. It's not going to benefit the agent. It's not going to benefit the player or the parent. So we're only a small little stepping stone on their career, whether they stay, stay for Pats for the next 10 years or they jump ship in two years or five years or whatever that might be. We're only a small stepping stone. But the part that we have them, it's my job, it's Stephen O'Donnell's job, it's the football club's job to make sure that we're giving them and we're challenging them in the best environment that they can be whilst also giving them that stepping stone, that platform to be the best footballer and best human being that they can be, that if they do have a career in the game, they can look back and say, I made the right decision that time. 
and it, it, it was one of the, the, the disappointing things for me with Dundalk throughout the whole great story of their last sort of six, seven years is they brought through so few players through through academies and so forth. Looking at, say, Shamrock Rovers last night, only Shamrock Rovers had one player in the pitch who actually came through their academy. And, you know, they've lost their second team this season. And I thought that was disappointing as well because Stephen Bradley's given so much kind of young players, um, you know, scope to come through. But just, just going back to that thing about the government, I, I've spoken about this a bit before. The government, we've had a situation where our, our Taoiseach was happy to present the Premiership back in the day that's that was the level we were at where we were we were a disgrace of a country really we had to export all our kids and and all of the negatives that ensued if you didn't make it but surely the clubs need to come together because like there's a very fractured political system in ireland now where there's you know Sinn Féin might be the biggest party but there are a lot of parties scrapping for kind of favor and i think there would be a good reaction from the various leaders i mean who's going to turn down the idea of supporting football within this country and putting money not towards wages but towards an academy so that longford town can pay uh, young coaches in the Midlands in a, what is essentially a deprived area to work for Longford Town and bring young players through. There was a big piece in the, one of the Sunday papers there a while ago. I'm sure you remember that. The business uh, post, yeah. Yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of, you know, in fairness, Dave went around the whole country getting... That was David Snade in the business post. Yeah, it was really good. And I spoke on the record today for a while and I know he had so much to do and I'm not sure. The biggest problem, and I know, Dan, you touched on it, the schoolboy clubs has been the biggest problem and it's the stuff that's been pulling everything down. Now, when I say that, I say that in the best possible way. I, I'm not saying what happened was right. And we obviously and, don't have the schoolboy clubs here to say you're wrong, so we yeah, obviously just no, respect no, no, that. But, yeah. but that's what I'm, saying. I'm, I'm not saying that what was right what happened to them in any stretch of the imagination. What I'm saying is it has happened to them. But we can't keep looking back now and thinking, mm. oh, well, you know, if this doesn't happen and we move this age group and this age group, the biggest problem we have in this country now without a shadow of a doubt. And this is where this is where it really needs to hit home at government level, lads, is that we won't have the Adamoidas, we won't have the Quevian Kellers, we won't have the Adamoidas, the Knights, the Connollys, all of those lads. We won't have any of them in Cat One Academies. Now it's up to us domestically to look after that. So if we're struggling as a national team now to bring through all the top players um in terms of Premier League, and I know international has been another different conversation, but our, our duty of care now is to be these top performing young players. We have fantastic coaches in this country, really good coaches. Some coaches, as you said, Johnny, that are not even getting paid, that are traveling the, the length and breadth of the country, sometimes twice on the weekend. If they're doing, you know, you know, some coaches in Finn Harps could be coming to Dublin on a Saturday, could be back up and to Derry on a Sunday or, or down to, to Cabin Monaghan on a Sunday. That's just the way it is in this country, and it's not right. And if government realise and sit back, and, and and I know Michal Martin spoke, and, and I know Jack Chambers and all these, and we get little sound bites now and again, and everyone gets giddy and excited, but nobody actually puts the foot on the throat to these guys. And it has to be done as a collective from all of us, from, from clubs, from parents, from players, from journalists, from newspapers, everything. And we all get so excited. And you guys are in the media. And I know you guys get paid to write uh, column inches. And the big thing would have been the Euros and everything else around it. And I'm looking at social media on Sunday and I'm scratching my head about everyone so rejoicing about England. Yeah, there's a rivalry there, but mm. it's almost, we're all forgotten. Look at us, like. Yeah, like we're shambles. In the grand scheme of things, we're a shambles around the country. And taking, I don't get bogged down on little things. I don't get bogged down on European results. I don't get bogged down, you know, on little things like that. As a collective, we need to do a hell of a lot better. The government needs to do better. The FAI needs to do better. The clubs need to do better. 
you guys in the media who work in these organizations, you need to push it from your end and do better as well. And we all need to row in the same direction and put them under severe pressure. And I'm not talking, you know, oh, here's three million. That's chicken feed. We need a plan. We need two, 300 million over the next 10 years. We need that to go in. We need somebody to come in and put it into our infrastructure, put it into our academies, put it into more pitches, put it into support networks now in the academies. When I started playing football in this country, which was a long time ago now, we had a first team and we had a reserve team, stroke 21s, I think it might have been at the side. It was jumping up and down. Dan might remember that a bit more. Mm. Now we've actually football clubs. We've kids coming in at 12 and 13 years of age. We've 70 odd kids in the academy. We've 70 sets of parents. We've first team players. You know, it's it just needs to be better and it needs to be demanded more. It needs to be like we've had issues in the underage over the last couple of weeks, which I won't go into details, but internally I've been speaking to Mark Scanlon, I've been speaking to Pat Duffy, I've been speaking to Will Clark. We can't just let mediocrity creep in because it's just accepted then. So we need to actually stand up and say, no, we're not accepting that. We're not actually going to play. Just scrap it. Just scrap it. We're not going to play until you guys fix it or we fix it as clubs. And it needs to be happening in the first team. And I'm not on the first team level. And I know there's a lot mm. of stuff going on in the All Oil League. And will it happen? Won't it happen? And stuff like that. That's a different conversation. But from a club's perspective, from the FAI's perspective, we need to be sitting down at government level. We need to be sitting down with the top brass in government level and trying to lay out a plan. And I've seen Will's stuff before I used it. Myself, Kevin McHugh, Will showed us this weeks and weeks and weeks ago. And he presented it to the staff of the underage and the international, and they were shocked by it. We weren't shocked by it. We're one yeah. of four countries that, on average, doesn't have one full-time staff member working in an academy. I'm full-time. Shane Robinson's full-time. Mike Gagan, I think, is full-time. I don't know many other full-time staff members around the country working in the academy. So, yeah. you know, it's us... I think it's Andorra, I think it's Luxembourg, and I think it's Northern Ireland. We're four of the countries. So when people look at us losing to Slovakian teams and, and Estonian teams and wherever else we're going to lose to, why is everyone so shocked? What yeah. are we basing on that we have the right to beat them? Yeah, yeah. We don't have a right to beat them. Yeah, no, it's, it's sort of extraordinary even some of the countries that had 9, 10. And I, when I saw the Estonian chat, I know, I know we're talking about European results and listen... They could have all imported players for all I know, but like I, yeah. I did see the, I saw the, the Estonian champions winning away last night comfortably. And you're sort of thinking, oh God, you know, t- 10 years ago, Shamrock Grovers beat the Estonian champions sure. in this round, you know, and like this is the, this is the, and you would have played against clubs from the, the Baltics yourself in your, in your European uh, career. You see how some of, some of those countries are coming on now. And it, I mean, it, it happens for a reason, you know. I, I, what I'm interested in, we, like we had Conor Grady on a couple of weeks ago. And he actually did reference a couple of, like he made the point that for all, they're doing great stuff with their academy, but they probably need like to sell a player. They need like to, they need that, that sort of, that Gavin Bazunu in some respects. And he did make the point that Gavin Bazunu probably, you know, for the, for the league in some respects, that, that a player who went to a top club from a League of Ireland club for a reasonable amount of money, like with all that you're doing there at Pats, like, and you have an owner there who's supporting it, but Clearly, you have to, in some shape or form, make the academies pay. You know, like this is a part of the this is a part of the game. Clearly, players going away at sixteen, we know that you're going to get smaller compensation levels than you would than you're entitled to at eighteen. And and how important is that one from your perspective? But even I, I just wonder, even in terms of like government and all the debate, like do we need one or two success stories to really 
push the argument that League of Ireland clubs can do it. And I hate talking in those terms, but you know all the language that's been said, well, the schoolboy players have done this, 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 and this with this generation of Ida and, you know, that sort of that 2000, Nathan Collins and that group. But do we need one or two more standard bearers from the league to make that point? Yeah, I, th- I think that will come, Dan, like, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I think that will come. And what we will find is we will find players now, because of the Brexit stuff, we will find players that will be making their debuts at 16 and 17. And then when they're 18, they'll jump for probably 20 or 30 games behind them. They'll jump for bigger fees. Well, Bazuna has to be a great example there. And he's, he's also a typical kid that's coming through. He, he fits all the criteria you're talking about. Absolutely. And do, do you know what? The, the thing about it is, Rovers have modelled the academy and the business plan fantastically well. And I'll tell you why. Because if you had went up to Rolstone six or eight weeks before previous, you would have got Gavin Bazuna out for a fraction of the price. And that's, that's the truth of it. Because Stephen Bradley went, you know what? We'll just put him in. Let's see how it goes. He came in, I think his first game might have been against Greg. Connor Kenna got sent off after a couple of minutes. It was a comfortable night for him. All of a sudden, the nerves are gone. He does really well. He makes that save in Cork. I'm sitting up watching uh, a European game for Rovers and the one he played maybe against the Finnish team or something like no, that. That was AI Kai from Sweden. Yeah. AI Kai, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he's obviously made that save in the second leg. And I'm sitting around and I'm noticing these people and I'm saying, right, he's a goalkeeping coach at Newcastle. He's a goalkeeping coach at City. He's a goalkeeping coach. And these guys are obviously just being told, listen, you need to go and talk. You need to go and watch this kid. See how he gets on. Six weeks ago, they would have gotten out for probably 30 grand, 40 grand. And that's, and that's the reality of it, is it, that if, if we don't market ourselves, and this is what I'm saying, we don't have a proper industry. Could you imagine any other country? And we all, I always say, listen, the looks of Scandinavia, Finland, they'd never sell a player for 30 grand. Never in their right mind would they sell their best 16-year-old for 30 grand because their best 16-year-old would be in the first team. Mm-hmm. And that's stupid. He'd be in the first team. You look at, um, who, who was I talking to during the Euros? Was a Croatia or something like that had a 16-year-old? That Czech Republic had a 16-year-old. Played against Dundalk. There's a, there was a, there's a kid yeah. who came on for Croatia. He's 23 now, but he played in Stephen Kenny's, I think his first European campaign at Dundalk. Oh. I just split back in 20, yeah. uh, 2014. Yeah, he came on he came and, off and, and he scored at 16. Yeah. That's what these countries do. They put them in. They don't turn around and go, well, and listen, it goes around full circuit because we've got managers here that are saying, well, what am I going to put a 16-year-old in for? I'll tell you why, because I can't, because European prize money is worth X amount of money. And if I don't get those three, four positions at the top, because I might not get it with him. And that's exactly what happens. Whereas if we start to model ourselves and drip feed in an Adam Murphy and a Ben McCormick and a Dara Bournes and rovers are drip feeding theirs and bowls are drip feeding theirs, then we've got to look and say, okay, now all of a sudden these players are worth a hell of a lot more because I can guarantee you someone coming to buy a Dara Bournes now is not going to get him out for chicken feed. Someone coming to buy a Dawson DeVoy or any of these boys, Ross Tierney, they're not going to get them for what they would have got them probably a year ago. And that's just the reality of it. So everyone has to be on the same wavelength. And that's, I suppose, there's, there's so many clubs up and down the country that, you know, from frustrations that academy managers don't have relationships, proper relations with their first-team managers because they know that if if money comes in through the academy, well, then it probably is going to be used in the first team to buy a centre-forward or a centre-back to make sure they stay in the division or make sure they challenge for Europe or make sure they try and win the league. And that's just the reality of it. Whereas I'm very conscious of my role and my position. We have to run the club like a business. There's no point in me keeping going to Gary Kelleher every year and saying, I need more money for the academy when we're not actually bringing things in. 
Now, what I will say is, I can actually sit back and I can openly say, listen, Gareth, Dara Barnes now is in the first team. Ben McCormick's in the first team. You know, Adam Murphy first team, James Abanko first team. None of these would be getting the astronomical wages of what people in the past would have got. So if there is a way up that you need to say, okay, well, we're actually bringing through our own players now, rather than having to go out and sign someone with a transfer fee from the UK or Scotland or, or France or Germany or wherever it is and pay them silly money, put them in an accommodation as well. And all of a sudden when you add up the package, you're like, wow, we could have got 10 lads in the academy contracts for that. So we're all very conscious that it has to work. It has to go hand in hand. You have to be good enough. You have to be, you know, ready to kind of step up into the environment of the first team. And listen, we have a very good pathway at the club at the moment. It's great to see, but you're right, Dan. We need to kind of wait over the next couple of years to see the next one moving, the next one going after that and so forth and so on. I think one other thing as well, just the, the, the massive influx of foreigners to the country the last two or three decades has been just such a boon for our clubs. Like it's it's even incredible in Galway. Like you just see the the different kind of, you know, characters on the pitch now from when I was a kid. And that's something that I think government needs to be told about, particularly when we've such a basically, you know, an Irish white uh, set of TDs. There's, there's no real representation of modern society in government. It's just like the same set of people, whereas that's not the case in football. But on that note, when I do see, like, I didn't know anything about this Glorian Zingo guy. He, he signed for Stade de Reim last, last week in, in, in kind of in the midst of all of the players signing. How does something like that happen? And just for me, it's fascinating to see. It might happen with Zeffi obviously going to Italy, but a young Irish player going over to a club in France at that age. How does that happen? Like I would have said earlier, every kid now has an agent. And I know it was well documented during the week, so I'll say I heard Glory has signed up with an agency called Wasserman, which are based um, all around Europe. And they're, they're such a big agency. And the guys who we've been dealing with were very good. And the ask questions, Glory's being back and forth with the different clubs. And the ask questions from us, would, would we be willing to, to allow him to kind of make a trip over to France? And we did, and he done really well. And the, the beauty of it is Glory actually speaks fluent French. Mm. Um, the heritage is there. So, but you're, you're right, Johnny. We, we've got so many kids coming up. We've got, you know, Albanian kids. We've got Lithuanian kids. We've got Malaysian kids. We've got... Um, you know, kids from, from all different places in Africa. And um, we've got kids from uh, who would have been from, their parents would have been from there who were actually born in Ireland. And, you know, they're all from different cultures, different backgrounds. And I would have spoken um, previously on this and said, that, listen, it's a fantastic um, environment to bring them in because they're all made up differently genetically. They're all made up differently from personalities. And it's, it really is good to see. And, a lot of people's wrong time. So the chances are when we knew we got glory that we'd probably lose him. I honestly thought that with Brexit there, we probably would have got him in and, and, and had him in and around the first team over the next number of years before he would have moved. But when something like that does come up um, in terms of the continent and the kid wants to move and, and we were able to manage to get a deal done, well then, you know, you know, we wish him the best of luck. He's had a, a fantastic... Um, a little, little couple of years with us he's had a little bit of success winning the double at 15s and winning the trophy at 17s and 19s last year so again I go back to that point it's a little stepping stone for uh, for glory in his football career okay just Jared's last question because we have to go to your old your old gaffer Liam Buckley now in a minute but um with all these players and with different backgrounds and nationalities and technical skills um 
have you have you got anyone coming through to rival Chris Forrester yet in that in that department? And I mean, as a last question, I mean, how much of a buzz? I've heard you speak about Chris before. How much of a buzz is it for you to see him back out playing, enjoying his football, and scoring a goal like like last Friday? Yeah, Dan, it's it's really good because not a lot of people know all the background what happened with Chris when he came home, and and the problem is people criticise criticise Friday night's performance, and and that's all they see. They don't see the human side of Chris, you know, Monday to Sunday. They see 90 minutes on a Friday night and everyone judges that. You know, so many people wrote him off. He's finished. He's not got his hunger. He's not got anything. And this is where sometimes we can get so, you know, caught up in the 90 minutes of football and not understanding what's going on. Chris is, is an unbelievable person and he's gone through a lot and I'm absolutely chuffed that he's, he's really shown, again, to people that how good of a player he is and He's probably a little bit unfortunate that he didn't get picked for the Irish thing um, to go away, you know, on the on the end of season camp. I thought from his performances, he could have been in and around and he's the type of player that we, we need. And I think Chris is the type that, like he showed a few years ago in Stamford Bridge, that when he's playing with better players around him, mm. you know, against better players, Chris normally just steps up to the plate as well. But in terms of what's coming through, listen, it's very hard to replicate a Chris Forrester. We've got, that's just a natural street footballer who's able to do it time and mm. time and night and not just his goals some of Chris's passes this year uh, his work rate his hunger his, his communication everything is just first class and um, yeah it's great to All see right, listen, thanks a million for your time Ger really appreciate okay, it okay take care let's get your old buddy Liam Buckley um, just in relation to the, the, the game last week um, I didn't watch it but it, the, the feeling was it kind of was one maybe that got away on you a bit I, I knew there wasn't going to be a lot in it because we'd seen quite a bit of them in previous weeks. Um, and it'll be tight again tomorrow night. I, I, I've no doubt they won't be going gung-ho to try and beat us 2 or 3 or 4 nil. you know, kind of way. They'll try and there'll be a lot of counter-attack stuff. So we need to be patient in possession. Um, but look, we've spoken about it all week. We've reviewed the match again uh, from our end of it and what we can do better. Uh, there was quite a few areas that would need to be improved from last week. So hopefully we can get that. Um, and if we get that improvement, it will give us a real chance to win the game, you know, the kind of way. So, and I do, I do see us playing better. Um, that said, as I said, we, with due respect to them, they've done okay. They've created one or two chances themselves. And I've noticed they'd be saying, getting an away goal here. Not that that matters if it's away or at home, but nonetheless, if they were to go 2-0 up, puts them in the driving seat. So, you know, the first goal is obviously going to be important. But that said, listen, I think we're all ready for it. We're, we're going to give it a right go. Uh, I think it was the anniversary recently of Robbie Benson's goal in Warsaw and it was put out that it might have been the best goal scored um, ever by a League of Ireland team in Europe. And I think a Pats fan replied that it wasn't even the best goal scored by a League of Ireland player in that ground because he referenced the Pats goal when you were there. And how much you enjoyed nights like that in European football? Uh, that was a fantastic occasion. Um, in Warsaw, we were 1-0 up into going to the 91st or second minute, I think it was. And uh, we just gave one loose pass and they pounced on it and bagged the lake all the, the we blew the whistle within 10 or 20 seconds, or whatever. Um, but it was a tremendous team goal uh, from, from where we're at. And so was the docks, you know, the kind of way uh, Benson's as well from a team point of view. His deliver, his finish was fantastic, bearing in mind mm. the quality of the finish. Ours was about, about the amount of passing and the link play that we had to get Christy that opportunity. But uh, and both fantastic goals. And um, got a fantastic occasion, made to say. And that's why it's so important that you try and get through these rounds, you know, the kind of way. And there is an opportunity here. It's an opportunity for that Icelandic team, an opportunity for us. Uh, you know, so listen, I, I've no doubt we both be going, going how to try and get a second a second bite of the cherry here, you know. Did, did you build a team with Europe in mind to some regards? 
not so much that now. I mean, uh, to be honest, with you, getting a team from Sligo's end of it, we're 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 geared around like being competitive in the league, which we are, and I think we're not doing too bad there. Um, from a European point of view, there's just you just need to be better on the ball. You have to retain possession better. Uh, now we have done this in matches here, so you know we, we will have to throw in an eight out of ten performance, you know, the kind of way, or a nine out of ten to give ourselves a chance of getting something out of the game, but. The possession is key. The Icelandic team, they again, they they kept reasonable possession of it last week at times. So uh, especially playing out in the back, so we need to address all that. Just in relation, obviously, we're talking about Shamrock Rovers last night that they didn't actually have any players on the pitch. We'll say, I think, off the top of my head, anyway, that came through the academy. And finally, just how proud are you of the amount of young players that have come through in recent games and um, from the academy and from the region in general to represent Sligo Rovers? I'm delighted, I have to be honest. Uh, you know, the, the, the academy coaches and the, the setup we have in the club is, 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 is testament to what we have now in the first team. They, they, they've done a tremendous job there. You know, I've took them in from the under-19s, a few of the guys here, but there's been quite a few of them. But they're, they're not, they're in the team on merit. Like, they're, they're, mm. they're, they're proper footballers. There's nothing wrong with them, you know, kind of, they're proper footballers here. And I've no doubt that they definitely have a bright future going forward. Uh, and we've still got one or two on the sidelines here that are just waiting for their opportunity and chance, you know, and it will come, please God, over the next period of time for them. Uh, but like probably we'll have five or five or six, let's say half our bench tomorrow will be academy players. Uh, and top of all the ones that we have in the in the team, you know, the kind of way. But as I say, they're in the team of merit. They're all applying themselves properly in training. They all want to do well. Their conditioning is good. Uh, and they do want the club to be to do and go better. So hopefully, um, as I say, we will get more of them coming through. But the key one now tomorrow is for the ones that are playing that we, we turn up and make sure we give ourselves a chance because uh, I, I really, I, 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 I just hope that it's not just one game experience for these guys this year, you know, kind of way. Because if you can get through, you've obviously got another couple of games. It's four games in Europe. And if you can get six out, that's great. If you don't, you get four. Okay, that's good experience for them going forward because I've, I've no doubt they should be chasing Europe every year, you know, from a league point of view. And if they do qualify for Europe every year, well, then look at, um, you know, the, the more experience they get, the better. Because I guess then the league games, league games come and go, but these are the nights nearly that you remember or maybe that you remembered by as well in some respects. Uh, look, it's the biggest game of the season so far for us, obviously, because if you win it, you're going to jump into the next round. Uh, now, that said, as I said to them, when you're top of the table, the next game is the biggest game, you know, kind of because you, you want to stay top of the table. We've got the FAI come forward to look forward. We've got Cork coming up here in a couple of weeks. Uh, so, you know, it's important that, you, you know, you have a, a winning mentality, you know, the kind of way. And with due respect to all the guys here, they're trying they're trying extremely hard. There is one or two areas that I need to improve, which I'm conscious of. And I know we are, John and myself, uh, John Russell and myself, are, we're working on that to try and get certain aspects to our, get our game better. Uh, but I do see it improving. And uh, please God, as I say, we put in a good performance tomorrow. It might be great for the club and our supporters and sponsors and all that goes with the club. You know? Very best of luck. Thanks, Liam. Appreciate that. Thank you. And obviously, Liam Buckley there uh, was looking forward to the game against F. How um, with Sligo Rovers one 0 down after I think what I didn't see the game now, but everyone I think said it was a, basically a blatant dive by Greg Bulger reduced him to ten. He men. said it. He said it himself. Yeah, it was... just one of these things. Um, and then obviously, um, it went one 0 down. But like I, I don't know. I, I know from talking to Sligo fans that they're well in the game. I watched Bowes and Starn and Bowes were definitely the better team. So, um. I, I'm kind of hopeful both these teams will go through. I, it'll be a massive, massive letdown, Dan. Obviously, if Bowes didn't, we'll talk to the lads. But but Sligo, this is this is big stuff for Sligo. Yeah, I, my my slight concern with Sligo Rovers is that when you think you look back uh, to the Shamrock Rovers game uh, just before the break, 
and like big stars in that game for them were McGinty, John Mahon, not playing, not playing. Bulger, the spine of the team. They've come into Europe, these two ties, with the spine of the team weakened. And that would be a concern. Now, you know, our Icelandic journalist said last week FH weren't in a great place at the moment. I, by listening to the reports, unlike you, I didn't see that game because I was, I was traveling back from the Dundalk one at the time. Um, you know, it, it, it seems like, um, or sorry, I was dealing with Patrick McElhenney Madness at the time, which I haven't actually spoken about. But, uh, but, but, but either way, it feels like they're not a great opponent, but I still have a slight unease. I'm, I'm going to Sligo now, and I'm, I'm looking forward to going to the game. And I think if they can, listen, hit, they can click and attack in areas like they did against Bowes, Johnny Kenny back in the mix, which is good. But I just have a slight concern. Now, listen, Luke McNicholas did well last week. I don't think that was an issue. Shane Blaney is a, is, is a good defender. David Codd, has got loads of experience. But they, what they've had this year in the spine of the team is like it's it's not it's not a reflection of the players coming in. It's just the harmony they've had between them all. That Bulger and Morahan link, you know, the the Mahan and Gary Buckley link. And I think it's just typical that it's for these big European games with like three hundred grand at stake and yeah. league and all that. That this is when they've had their problems, um, and and that's my slight fear. But the, again, like for all we talk about the away goals rule being good for Irish clubs, it's actually great that it's gone this week because. The Sligo would be goosed, you know, if, if FH... Only stopped. Bowes would be in a better position. And, like, Bowes, well, Bowes, Bowes yeah, exactly. won't be worrying about that anyway. They weren't going to draw nil no, all in the No, 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 no. Uh, but Sligo now are in a situation where it wouldn't shock you if FH scored. Like, but mm. I'd shock you if Sligo won 2-1. You know what I mean? And then it goes the distance. So, we'll see. I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, but I, I may be... I, I'm maybe not as confident as, as, I, as I thought I would be. And yet, like after an hour last week in both games, it felt like both were equipped to go through, you know? Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, we'll, we'll get to it before that. We'll do a four-star pizza question here, by the way, because it is a bit like related to uh, listen to what, what's been said earlier in the show. This Dan is did for- a little dance while he, while he said that. Congratulations to Tom Byrne, who I, I didn't mention at the top, Dan, last week. He so he's, he's a going United fan. I didn't, yeah, but he's, he's a going United fan. I, I'm afraid, I was ashamed to admit it, but he's a going oh. United fan. He's actually a member of my media team. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, Johnny. Oh, okay. You know, we could have got away with that one. I mean, when it's the actual mascot that wins it, it's very it's harder for us to cover. Harry the Tiger. Did you ever get a photo of the mascot eating the pizza? Uh, actually, no. And, and I mean, that's, that's a very photographic opportunity. Um, we're having well, a debate. What the hell do we do? Yeah. I mean, how yeah, do the mascot eat? Sort I mean, must have a very big pause, right? Is the tiger a pause, or what does the tiger? Yeah, have? yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be it'll be tricky for him. He's smudging all over his kind of uh, his outfit there, and uh, I wouldn't. I don't want to anger a tiger either, so I'd let him. I leave him to eat his pizza. It's, We're it's, having a, a big, a big. It's like, that, it's like that. It's, it's like that airplane, the movie Airplane, back today, where something <laughs> yeah. problem, and they just pour the water over their face. I've got an. He's, he's got an eating disorder. He just he's got very big. That's that's what I tell you. We're all we're all counting on you, Terry the Tiger. But uh, no, we're having a, a poll in Galway at the moment to to name our Galway United beer. What with the success of the Bose beer and the Bray Wanderers beer, so there are four suggestions. Um, Galway have a brew. Check DC. Right. Um, what, what's the second one? Check DC, which I quite like. Okay. Um, okay. Tribal pills. Which which is quite nice and tribal tribal which is my suggestion which is is going well in the poll at the moment so if what's, I can, what's what's the what's the thinking of tribal just it's tribal and then all is obviously a play old yeah tribal I see what you did there yeah, um, yeah very clever so I I can see why it sh- it shouldn't win but I could, I certainly think it should win and I'd love to say by the way to literally every visitor to M D C Park and you remember Juz the Hoop Justin 
when he came for his stag party that time. You've only mentioned it eight times. Yeah. He had a great stag. Imagine seeing every single visitor. Oh, by the way, that was my idea. Like I'd be, I'd be even more annoying than I already am. But it's a, it's a tight race at the moment in that poll. Anyway, what's the four star pizza question? Four star pizza question is if if people have been paying attention to the, to questions or topics discussed earlier. It's, this is an easy one, but we're going to have a lot of Pats listeners this week, hopefully, because that was a very interesting chat with Jared Brown that we had on a number of areas we should and, and we'll probably return to some of the academy issues again because it's a consistent theme with Conor O'Grady and people we've had on. Um, but yes, the uh, question is, you reference St. Patrick's Athletic playing against Legia Warsaw back in the day. Uh, who, who was the Pats player that, yeah, that completed that team move to score? What a goal it was. Yeah, so name the player. LOI Central, usual rules apply at LOI Central pod on Twitter, hashtag LOI Central, the score of that goal. I mean, I can't really talk about Actually, like, which, which of the two of goals were you more of a fan of? I, I was in I was in Warsaw. I can't discuss the goals there because I, I can't. I, I can't. Which goal were you more a fan of, though? Ah, but listen, well, Robbie Benson's was on reading in the years because it was in the middle of a, of a, it was the moment where you thought an Irish team might qualify for the Champions mm. League. I don't think, with all due respect to our Pats listeners, um, you could have a beauty contest and debate it, uh, but th- I mean that was an amazing moment. I mean, you had the the the, the stadium was was half empty for 2014, but this one you had the big fan display behind the goal because this was the historic night and it was a pin drop moment. You said it so many times, Dan. These League of Ireland games, like your your average League of Ireland. Johnny Ward said the night before they were going to get turned over five nil. Had an argument about that, Mister Optimistic <laughs> about the league. You had a couple versions. of Troy Bowls down at that stage, didn't you? <laughs> hey. Hey, hey, but um, no, like as you said it before, if you put Derry City and St. Pat's in front of an arena like that and that that audience, like I'm telling you, the League of Ireland is a good standard. Shane Blaney. What, what would Pat Dolan? What would Pat Dolan name the beer if he had a if he had a if he had a, if he had a, a saying it? You know, hey. has he got a vote? Has he got a vote? Has he given one? Um, yeah. yeah, I hope he I hope he drinks it. And if he does, I'd be like, by the way, Pat, it was me that came up with that name. Let's get to. Andy Lyons, uh, who's our first century from Daily Mount. And then very briefly at the end, in argu- arguably the best goalkeeper in the league, I would say, in James Talbot. Even today here down in Daily Mount, you can see everyone bringing the flags and, and buying merchandise and all that kind of stuff. So it is exciting to see and, you know, people stopping you here, there and everywhere asking about the game. So, yeah, no, it is. It's, we're really looking forward to it now. Um, and obviously that, 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 fan, that fan backing makes a big difference as well, doesn't it? Do you feel any different playing in terms of the intensity of the game? Because people are sort of judging what the League of Ireland level is this season, but maybe others are saying, well, there are no crowds and it's hard to kind of know. Yeah, I suppose it is hard to kind of know, isn't it? Like, I suppose the fans, you wonder, like, it does make such a big difference. So does that make an impact on the on the standard of quality? I'm not sure. Like, But um, as always, the, I think personally, the standard of the League of Ireland is, is increasing every year. Um, certainly when I came in three or four years ago I think the, the standard is, 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 is up massively so um, yeah no look I think I think the standard is constantly growing um, and, and long may it continue and your experience European football last season I think everyone was kind of raving about your performance afterwards that must have given you some taste for it yeah no it was brilliant I think um, playing in Europe at 19 last year was a brilliant experience and I think we played a really really good side last year didn't we so um, yeah, I think just even for the whole group getting that experience. Um, obviously, it was my first time playing in European football. I think it was probably a lot of the lads playing in European football the first time as well. So I think that game, gain that experience was, was was massive, and then obviously we could bring that experience and use it this year, hopefully to our advantage. What did you find of the level? Yeah, look, it, it was a really good level. I think um, you know even even the Iceland team like we they have plenty of internationals in their side. You know, and um, the team that we played last year, Farvard, they had you know numerous internationals. So you know you are going up that step. You know, it's 
it's you know cliche, but you're you're going up that step one bit further. Um, and even you look at Dundalk last year playing the likes of Arsenal, so um, you know you can step up to that standard, and, and it's just about doing that and performing on the pitch when you get the chance. And how did you feel you got on for the 21s as well? Not that long ago, obviously, in Aust- against Australia, and um, that's another level again. Yeah, look, it is, and it's all about levels, isn't it? And that's that's another level, and I suppose it's under 21s to national. You probably find a lot of them lads will be going to the first team, and you can even look at our first team at the moment with the likes of Adamita, Jason Knight, Aaron Connolly, the likes of them lads. Um, they've all made made that step up from 21s to first team, so. Um, and, and when you do make that step up, you've got to make it count. Um, but yeah, look, it's a really good standard, and I suppose it's 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 really getting ready for that first team football, isn't it? And I, I guess you're a quintessential right back. How do you monitor the way the game is developing with like England switching between a three and a four? There are wing backs, full backs, and what position I guess of the two would you prefer, or does it matter to you? Yeah, look, to be fair, I haven't played the three at the back much, but it's obviously a much different role because a lot of the time you don't have a winger in front of you, so. Um, look at it the other day, like you look at Kieran Trippier, like he has no winger in front of him to play with, um, and obviously England reverted back to a fourth to back after about 60 minutes. So, um, yeah, look, they're completely different in what they are, um, completely different from, from positions. And I think a lot of time you consider a right back, you know, attacking right back as a, as a wing back, but in fact it's actually a completely different position because you don't kind of have that um, that interchange with your winger and kind of like that relationship as such so you're kind of out, out on your own so yeah a lot of people think it is very similar but personally I think it is there's a big difference between the two and to be fair to both like you lost both your wingers last season and you know you've had a great season so far yeah I think look you know obviously you know Chris and Danny were massive for us last year so I think that kind of shows the the gaffer and, and how good he is in the recruitment side of things and, and obviously the backroom staff and you know the two lads we brought on this year Ali and Liam have been brilliant like the two Scottish lads have been absolutely outstanding like so um, but then again it's form relationships isn't it like even for myself playing it right back with Ali like obviously you know I'd like to think him and Chris are probably you know different style of player like Chris is probably more direct and Ali is more kind of like technical coming to holes and stuff like that so um, yeah it's about gaining relationships building relationships and and trying to build on them and I guess some of the, the players that have come to the fore this year, obviously Kelly Devoy and uh, in behind um, Tierney as well. Uh, it's a different both team, but it must be great to play in as well. Yeah, look, it's 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 brilliant, you know. Um, I think two of the names you mentioned there, Ross Tierney and Devoy, like Dawson, you know, I've played with them the whole way up. Like, so obviously we'd be good mates. And then obviously Georgie coming in has been absolutely brilliant for us, hasn't he? So, um, you know, Georgie's always been someone that I've, in the past, playing for Pats, playing for Dundalk, it's someone that I've always admired and someone that I've always looked at. So when he kind of came into the club, I was, you know, I was buzzing with that sign because I think he's been brilliant in the league for the last few years. Um, you know, so I think this year he showed his quality and he's been unbelievable for us. Then obviously Rossi behind them has, has been excellent with Dawson. The two of them are brilliant. You spoke about that actually, the three of you coming up. Like Pats, I think, signed four players on professional contracts last season, last week or other. There will be like, I think one of them is as young as 16. What's your take? Because you're, you're probably well kind of placed to view it, like the take of that progression from the academies and what can be done. Because Keith Long spoke about it last week that like, maybe not all clubs are into the academies as much but with maybe with Brexit now there is a different onus on players to stay here as well yeah potentially there is like um, obviously staying here with Brexit it's, it's a big difference isn't it you can't go to England until you're 18 but from a personal perspective like I think you look at the squad team we have now there's probably four, five, six, seven. Um, whether it be in the starting lineup or on the bench that have come through the ranks here 
Um, I think that gives credit to the club and the gaffer and the underage setup and, and the way it's been going. Like um, obviously I start with the under 17s, the same with Rossi and Dawson, became our way through the 19s and up to the first team. And then, as I said before, when you get that chance, you've got to take it, you know. Um, and it's about getting them experiences as well. When you get the chance, it's about learning from from the experiences, learning from the games you played. And, and sometimes it might be tough playing against bigger players, better players when you're younger. But you know, you learn from them games and you build the experiences off that, and you know, you get better as a result. And what education do you have if you did move abroad at some stage? Um, in, uh, just a leaving cert. Okay, so at least you got that done. Yeah, I got the leaving cert done, which is brilliant. Like, um, but obviously I can I can go to college whenever I need. So, but at the moment, my I'm fully focused on football. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and um, just as well, I suppose another interesting, like you see, Zeffi is going to um, Italy. Uh, I think uh, was it um, El Buzetti is going to Sweden, Sweden yeah. to AIK, and there was there are a couple of other kind of Irish players moving to non-British clubs. Which is is that something that you would kind of consider down the line if you did leave Ireland? Does it have to be Britain if you did move? Yeah, I think it's it's hundred percent an opportunity. I think a lot of people these days just consider England as the only the only outcome. Like, but. Um, in fact, like there's a lot of other places. You look at Dan Casey, who's gone to America from us last year. You look at Chris, who's gone to Poland. Like so, I think there's so many other options out there that maybe people kind of like, you know, pull the wall, wool over people's eyes and thinking England's the only place to go. But in fact, there's actually so many other clubs out there. There's so many other styles of play that maybe might suit other players and suit different players. You know, um. So yeah, 100%. I think Europe and abroad is is definitely something that that I'm looking at and maybe younger people should look at as well. You have faith in your own ability anyway, but obviously I suppose it's a long way to go in your career. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, look, I think you have to. If if you don't believe in yourself, no one will. You know what I mean. So, um, you've got to be confident in your own ability. But yeah, no, yeah, I am indeed. We're nearly done with that. Just the the Euros. Did you enjoy it? You were telling the lads there you have a ten year ticket at the Aviva Stadium, which is uh, as the, as the joke was, one of the few who paid for it or whatever. But did you enjoy the Euros and I suppose the Italian uh, victory in the final and they're they're defending and all that as well. The the nature of defending, which you're so good at yourself. Yeah, look, I think it's brilliant, isn't it? Like I think in the modern game, you kind of you know you kind of see everyone as attacking and everyone wants to see attack and play and I think the kind of Italians stripped it back a bit and just it was pure class defending wasn't it like and I think even just this like how cynical the centre-backs were at times like I think you saw with Cellini and Saka like and, and that just comes from experience doesn't it like and I think as I said before like everyone just loves the attacking game and but sometimes when you look at the Italians you just kind of remind yourself and you think that's unbelievable defending, you know, when the centre backs coming through, as full backs coming through, you kinda of look at them and think that's that's the right way to play. You wanna to move to Italy, do you? Look, listen, if there's any clubs, you know, but no, Italy would be brilliant. Like as I said, like the art of defending shouldn't be underestimated as well at the same time. Like you see, as Dan was saying, Chiellini doing overlaps in the hundred and twenty second minute, like Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that's credit to him, it's credit to the Italians, the way they're so eager to defend, the way they've man managed, I mean they're you know, looked after, you know, Roberto Mancini has them nailed down to the ground, doesn't he? Like how they're gonna defend they know exactly what they're going to do and think there was no grey areas whatsoever in terms of that like and it was it was a brilliant watch to be honest with you you know what I mean and um, you know it was it was really exciting the whole tournament overall who's the best right back in the game at this moment in time oh Jesus um, I'm not too sure I like Kyle Walker I'm not going to lie I do like Walker I think he's you know so quick he's got a lot of experience but then again there's so many different types of players isn't there like you look at Kyle Walker he's probably you know, so good at defending. He's he's a, he's a real good defender. But then you have players like Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's probably better on the ball and maybe a bit more technical. So there's so many players out there to learn from. So it's probably good that you kind of have that bit of mixed mixed qualities that you can kind of learn and pick and choose from each of their games and kind of learn from that.
finally Bose tomorrow um, I guess there'll be a lot of expectation that you know the papers will probably be predicting Bose to go through any danger of complacency because it is one all no I think there's no complacency in our squad whatsoever I think um, you look at Iceland there was a one all draw they're a really good side they've plenty of internationals in their team like you know um, they're very well experienced and, and obviously we look in Europe last year we thought we were you know brilliant getting the penalties but at the end of the day we lost so um, we can't be complacent in any way whatsoever like, and we know these are good sides so we've seen them play first hand now um, and you know, we can't take anything for granted whatsoever It is mad as well looking at yourself and Shane Supel how kind of similar it is coming back playing Gaelic football um, coming back from England um, you know, and, and thriving at Bowes like, what, what did you learn from him as well because it was I think everyone was really sad that he had to retire so early as well because he was obviously only 30 odd Yeah I, I, I was just, I was quite sad myself because I wanted to work with him um, I wanted to come in and you know I'm quite lucky enough that, that he, he does a few sessions with me this year um, and to be, to be honest with you he, he is, his, his voice is, is, is unbelievable it's uh, on a game day whether it's during the week or whatever um, he's, he's really good you know um, sorry and and he uh, yeah he, look, he looks as, as soon as I come into the club you know um, he, even when he did had to retire unfortunately for him um, he looked after me and he gave me as much his voice as possible whether it was about the pitch whether it was about the games about the league in general and what I had to do and even to this day like as I said he's doing a few sessions um, this year and his, his voice is brilliant and it's great to work with someone like that um, because you don't get it too often you see as well he came back to Bowles but he really took the club to heart as well which it seems to be a unique club in that regard obviously Buckley cycling home from games and um, you know you just seem to have great togetherness or whatever yeah it's again that's that's that's, that's why it's, it's so important on Torsi as well to have 6,000 people in the, under the same roof um, it's, it's, it's brilliant it's, it's, it's got to be special you know um, it means that much more because since the pandemic hit it's a uh, they stuck with us. It's, it's, it hasn't been easy. Like I know, I friends who haven't been to games in, mm. in so long, and you know, it's a, it's very difficult. And, and sometimes it can be easy for people just to kind of shy away or turn away from us and kind of, oh well, I can't get to a game. I won't stop. But the support has been probably even more than when I first came to the club. The support has been unreal, um, and hopefully we can we can thank them with a win on Thursday. So, um, and it's again, it's it's unbelievable to have to have them six thousand in under the same roof. And uh, it's going to be special. It has that bit more motivation about it. Actually, just on that, Dan, uh, the Talbot debate, um, we spoke to him. He was very, 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 um, you know, portraying the party message. Like, he was really well-behaved. Talbot is a really, he's a bundle of energy. He was, so, he was talking to him afterwards and we're having chit-chat or whatever. A couple of things. Obviously, Stephen Bradley said that Alan Manis is the best goalkeeper in the league. James Talbot, to my mind, is definitely the best goalkeeper in the league for what it's worth. Uh, and secondly, the the bump around the goal at Daily Mount, and I've been going, I, I don't know what it was, If they, there was no paint on the pitch, so they're obviously really lying in the pitch, whatever. I could not believe the bump around the goal. It looked like a golf course. Like, it was absolutely It was, it was one of the great... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did hear the longer, audio, the longer audio that you did send me with the James Talbot. And I mean, in, in, in the pantheon of great Johnny Ward tangents, I think, you know, mid-question, just turning around and seeing, to say what you see, what's the story with that mound over there? When, like, it's irrelevant to the fact that, like, Bowes are playing in the Aviva on Thursday. I know, anyway. I know, yeah, I know, yeah. So, so the, the, the undulations of Daily Mount couldn't be any less relevant to the discussion you were having before this game. And really, that, that got him more energized than any question I asked. He was so on 
on message, the Bose message, um, that he he actually sprung out of his kind of um, cloak media of, shell. Of his media yeah. shell. He was he was actually energized by it, and uh, it's mad. It it actually looks like golf course, genuinely. Well, there you go. I mean, the opens on this week, so so there you go. I mean, speaking of bumps in the road, um, nice. the dog certainly hit one last Thursday where I'm very proud. And I have to say, um, you know. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if, if Vinny necessarily agreed with some observations that have been expressed about, say, the quality of Newtown, who they played and stuff like that. But they were um, rubbish. The, the, uh, the, I, they, I don't think they were rubbish, but they were in preseason, you know, so they were, and they were missing, they were better in the second leg with some of their COVID players back. But listen, mm. it, was, it was a dream draw to play them last week. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But I have to say, when you finish a game and you win 4 0 in Europe, and you do your <laughs> You do a press conference and it's all good and it's a generally positive chat with the 4-0 win. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, when journalists are still in the ground, the Derry City, Patrick McElhenney press release goes out and you have to face questions about that. Like, it, it sort of sums up aspects of Vinny's return for me so far in that I think on the pitch, I think, you know, things have been going reasonably okay. Like, I mean, maybe if that penalty decision had been given in Tala, you know, we'd be having a very different discussion about Dundalk's fall. Form and their run, you know, that defeat obviously maybe halted their bit of momentum in terms of they would have been well, maybe eight points off Rovers and if that had gone to plan. But like Vinny didn't really do any press around the second leg in Newtown, not even for the club after the game. And, and I sort of feel like, you know, he's in this situation now where no matter what he does, and this is listen, he's got in there in these terms with the he, he with the eyes open. But no matter what he does, he is now the spokesperson for the club. Jim Jilton isn't doing press say anymore like he was doing every week. And Vinny is out there, you know, defending or deflecting things that in many respects are completely out of his hands. You know, the Chris Shields deal, you know, McElhenney was, was always going to go to Derry. And we spoke before when he went in there that this is the deal he's taken. He's desperate for the job, desperate for the opportunity. But it, it, there may well be more outgoings from them. Every week I hear about a different player that's about to be released. I know some of that. Vinny will come and say it's clickbait and it's speculation. But a lot of this clickbait and speculation so far has proved to be true. So it's not actually clickbait. It's just accurate news stories. Um, and like, I have to say, like, he's trying to do the job there, but but it just feels like there's, there's stuff going on above his head that he's not even going to be able to speak about. Yeah, he so. wouldn't talk to the press after the game, obviously, which is interesting in Wales. Well, after that, that well, in Wales, yeah, there's no one travel. But but listen, that, that's by the boy. I mean, maybe maybe he's a bit miffed over the, how the McElhenney thing was sprung on him. Now, mm. Like, I, I, well, I do you know from the Rory Higgins comments about it? There's clearly a bit of bad blood between the two of them, or certainly they're not absolutely a, no doubt. I think, I, I think and that's it. That's interesting. On in fairness, okay, I whatever, like what I don't know what the reasons are behind that, but this is actually a bit of needle is no harm at all in the league when these teams play against each other. I've been going about all oh, these young coaches, oh, they're great mates, blah blah blah. Better when they're not, when they don't really get on necessarily, and that's what we need. We need a bit of banter. Oh, there is a real beef, and listen, I mean, you know, clearly, like Higgins was was a big member of that dressing room and you know it's it's no surprise to see one or two players gravitate towards him there's a Derry connection there you know mm. not a surprise that McElhenney wants to go back and live in Derry a lot of the Derry lads are, are homebirds as well and you know I'd say Michael Duffy will probably end up there um probably next season too I would have thought and like that's you know, there's, 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 there's certainly real tension there I mean there's in the bottom line with the Dawkins they're still not in a position to offer anyone uh contracts anyway so they're going to be well, like, actually, all, can i can i get you on that Dan? all the players who all the players who are out of contract like once you're out of contract 
within six months, you're entitled to talk to anyone. Well, well just, just on whether, that. Whether Jerry like, needed to, sorry, let me commit on your point. Whether Jerry needed to announce it when they did, like they would say the story was going to come out on Friday morning and they wanted to announce it. I see that point of view. I'll, I'll put my journalist hat on. I would have had the story in January. Richie Child was joining Shamrock Rovers. Everyone knew it was happening. But, but Rovers didn't announce it at that stage. Now, like, there's, there'd be a different opinions on what you need to do, like, in that case. Um, have Jerry lost players to the dock in recent seasons and has it scarred them? Probably has a bit. Was it a bit of a dig to do it that way? I'd say it probably was. Could they have announced it before the game? They could have, and they didn't do that. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of sides to the whole thing, but there I, is... I, I, I don't think... Relationship, if the relationship between... Listen, if two managers who had worked together and had been through a lot of stuff together, mm. you know, had a better relationship or had a, a good relationship, I don't think that would have happened. I think people from the outside can see that, that relationship is not particularly strong. Just, okay, but, but, but to, make it, to make it even more bizarre was the suggestion then that um, Derry Wantham not at the end of the season, but they're hoping to potentially get him before that, which just adds another layer to Dundalk's completely dysfunctional kind of 2021. Do you see that happening? Well, I mean, honestly, McElhenney was the best player on the pitch probably last Thursday, or certainly in the top yeah. three. Um, and if Dundalk played play Levadia Talon until uh, time worked, uh, presuming they get through, uh, actually, we wouldn't know that. If another Gibraltar team wins, wins 5 0 and, and the return, maybe not. But Whoever they play in the next round, there's 300 grand at stake. You know, they've sold Shields. The, the Shields went for like 20, 30 grand. Mm. I don't understand how you would let a really good player go when Dundalk at the moment don't look like qualifying for Europe this season. And he's someone who can help them. So for a short-term hit of maybe 15, 20, 25, 30 grand versus potentially 300 grand or, you know, whatever something like, it would be absolute madness to let him go out to so, so it would probably happen. But it's clear, but it's clear, well, it's clear that the negotiations are happening with the chairman. And it seems that Chris Shields had a success with the chairman and his people had a success with the chairman in terms of saying, well, let me go now. Okay, Shields had long service with the club. McElhenney not there as long. And also Shields was, was not going to a rival, whereas McElhenney, in theory, like could end up knocking Dundalk out of the cup or out of the league or something if you let him go. So a functioning club wouldn't do it, but they're not a functioning club. Okay. So... Um, you know, but it would make absolutely no sense. But I mean, as I said, like the people making the decisions, um, you know, maybe they're even a soft touch for players and people who speak to them sometimes. I, I've actually, you know, my view on, on, on the Nandalk officialdom sometimes now, you know, it's it's changing. And sometimes I think that a chairman in Florida who hasn't been in Ireland um, in so long, you know, maybe they can be spun any version of events by many people. Um, and I actually think there's an element of that that's happened with some of the stuff that's gone on as gotcha. well. Gotcha. Um, I don't think they're convinced with McElhenney's injury record, but it's no reason to let him go now. Okay. Um, yeah, so like we're coming to the end of the show here. Um, thanks to everyfugeticketing.ie and thanks to Four Star Pizza for our prize. But before we go, the FAI fixtures. Cup... Um, well, FAI Cup are all fixtures. I'll tr- yeah, tr- FAI throw out the FAI Cup fixtures. For we're not going to do all the fixtures, Johnny, because we, we, we'll, we'll... The main we'll, ones then, Dan. Obviously, Sligo Rovers, Cork City, which is interesting. Um, Shamrock Rovers, Galway United, Derry City, uh, tough draw for them at Drogheda. Probably the main... Derry Drogheda is the tied around by an absolute... No, it like, isn't. Galway United have won Sh- five games in a row. Ah, yeah, go on. Go on. 91. You know, I mean, there's, there's a massive 30 year sort of resonance going yeah, on. Yeah, listen, listen. I mean, in your mind, I know what the biggest game is. I would I'm, love it if we I'm beat pretty them. sure someone at that game is going to have won a pizza like in the previous. <laughs> Actually, there was a great there was a great live on the stream last night where um, Garton was doing the cold com with them. Um, 
Graham Gartland was doing the cold con with uh, uh, do 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 Des Kern with Des Kern, and Des Kern was like, "Well, obviously, um, you know, the last time uh, Slovan Bratislava were in Tala, nine of their players were playing in that night against Dundalk, and then he goes, well, half of the Dundalk team are playing tonight as well. They're playing for Shannon <laughs> Clovers, and uh, it was just, it was just, it was, it was actually, and really they weird. weren't because they were the two Rovers, the Dundalk lads were on the bench, yeah, or, or, or with Shannon Clovers now at the minute. But anyway, it was, it was kind of quite funny because they have rather raided a lot of those uh, Dundalk players with the fixed. I, I hope it was better than the way you told it there. Um, <laughs> I, I thought uh, the, the, the tide around is Derry drawn up by an absolute street. The Miners again. Rovers don't have a European game; they'll they'll comfortably beat your lot. So, like, oh, the, the, oh, well, well, them. we'll just see about Lisa that. Fallon was there last night in scouting. What duty. more do you want? What that, more do like, you want? Lisa but Fallon think, was at the game. Doing the homework, but uh, listen, I actually think the thing about the cup for all was there's a lot of all non-league ties or all junior football ties. And in fairness, a lot of the first division clubs got screwed by getting Premier Division clubs. Mm. You know, Sligo Rovers Cork sounds great, but you, you'd expect Sligo Rovers should, should be able to deal with that comfortably. And the, the Derry Drada is the one Derry Drada is the one tie where a team could go out who you think would actually have a chance of going quite far. Because I think the cup it could be quite open uh, this year. And Drawdy United uh, having announced, which probably deserved a bit more coverage, the, the two lads signing uh, new contracts, obviously Tim Clancy and Kev Doherty as well, um, which is massive, massive news to him because Drawdy have just had an ins- a sensational season. And they visit St. Pat's on Friday and Derry play Shamrock Rovers. So Derry have the angle of, well, I think Rovers will be on a bit of a downer, to be honest, coming to Brandywell. Pat's playing Drogheda. Drogheda will be buoyed by their two great leaders, of course, committing themselves to the club for forevermore, or for the very least, for two more years. It stops players, it stops people sniffing around their players, at least. They yeah. can really- and, yeah. and, 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 and Dundalk, Finn Harps on Saturday, uh, you know, Finn Harps, two wins from 14, I think, missed two penalties in their last two home games. Bowes against Longford. Longford, probably not the worst time to play Bowes. That's Sunday. Bowes, Longford Sunday. on Sunday, as well as Waterford against Ligo Rovers. Sunday afternoon games, like 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 days of yours. You only have Gabriel Egan and Owen uh, commentating on them and, you know, whatever. whatever. I'm, off to the, I'm off to the seaside Friday. Bray Wanderers, Galway United, Athlone Town, uh, Shelburne, Treaty, UCD. Treaty, uh, it just keeps on getting better for Treaty. Brilliant results. Uh, last minute equaliser against Shells. Place, even though 100 people there, place was rocking apparently Markets Field. And also on uh, Friday, Waterford play, sorry, Wexford play, Cork City, Cove Ramblers, Cabin Teeley. On Saturday, that's our lot, Dan. That is our lot. Um, we'll be back next week, hopefully re- reflecting on some Euro- European successes. Um, yeah, yeah, hopefully. Well, I suppose we're going to have all Thursday games next week, but hopefully there's three of them and not uh, not just not just one. Indeed, and that was in association with FutureTickling.ie.